And now, as you're seated, if you would take your Bible and we'll turn to the book of Romans, as we are privileged to be able to start this series this morning on this first Sunday of 2022. I anticipate much joy and much growth as we look at this book together, this New Testament letter, and we'll talk about some of it as we uh, introduce it more in just a moment. Romans chapter 1, we're going to do verses 1 through 4. Romans 1, 1 through 4. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you so choose. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this opening verses of this great epistle of the Apostle Paul, Lord, I pray that you would help us to dedicate ourselves each Sunday as we come to hear and to receive And not just be hearers only, but be doers as we think about these words penned under the inspiration of your Spirit. Father, may we have joy in our study. May we have growth. May it be beneficial to us, not only individually, but as a congregation. May we have greater commitment to you, greater unity, greater witness, greater burden for those around us. Father, now, even as we look at these verses, the time that we have remaining, Father, um, burn them in our heart. Help us to see great things from your law. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in his uh, introduction in the commentary uh, on the book of Romans, uh, R.C. Sproul writes about having three dates that are written down in his Bible when he thinks about the book of Romans. The first date is the year 386. 386. And by the way, um, two things. Number one, I think that um, my mic was popping earlier, so my apologies for that. We found the windsock, and we're able to put that on. But secondly, um, you can use your bulletin, and you can see there, there's uh, some blanks there, notes to follow along, or you can write in your uh, scripture journal as well. But the date, 386, it's the latter part of the 4th century. And there was a young man who lived at that time whose mother was a very devout Christian, but his life was one of immorality, very um, pagan in the way that he lived. He already had one illegitimate son. And this man was not seeking God in any way, and one day he was pacing in a garden And in this garden, there was a copy of the New Testament. It was chained to a lectern. And while he's pacing, he hears children playing. And they're saying, um, uh, in Latin, they're saying, um, tolo lege, tolo lege, which means take up and read, take up and read. It was a game that they were playing, but to him... It seemed as if God was speaking to him. So he went over to the book that was chained, the New Testament that was chained to that lectern. And he opened to the book of Romans. 
chapter 13. And this is what he read. And do this, knowing the time that is now, it is high to awake from our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And so this young man, Augustine, read those words from the book of Romans, and it pierced his heart, pierced his soul, and he became a believer. That's the power of the book of Romans. That's the power of the word of God. But as I said, there are three dates written in this introduction of R.C. Sproul and his commentary. The first was 386. The second is 1515. 1515. A monk who had diligently tried to make a way for him to feel right with God, to have a righteousness before God. He had been assigned to be a professor of biblical studies at a particular university, and he had already delivered one set of lectures on the book of Psalms, and now he was beginning a lecture series on the book of Romans. And as he was reading a commentary written by Augustine, he got to chapter 1, verse 17, and he read these words, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And Martin Luther was changed forever. The third day was seventeen. 38. In England, a man was walking Alter's Great Street, and he was nearing a chapel in which a man was preaching. And as he got near this chapel, there was a man who was preaching from the book of Romans. And he listened to that, but particularly this preacher was using a commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Romans, and it changed forever John Wesley as he listened to that introduction written by Martin Luther, who had been changed by what he had read by Augustine. All three of these men changed by the book of Romans. And I'm praying that that's what happens with us as we go through the book, as we study it together. And certainly there are more capable men and more able preachers to be able to preach this book. It is my joy to be able to do that with you. But I'm looking forward to what God would teach us and what history has already done in changing the lives of so many. And those are just three examples that I would give you. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley. Those are just three examples. Countless others could make some testimony to the fact of what the book of Romans has done for them. And so, as I pray and think about our time in this book in the coming year, there will be some breaks, and there are certainly occasions when we will not be in the book of Romans, but I'm praying that 
we will be encouraged and blessed and helped greatly in our spiritual life. This morning, from murderer to missionary, from murderer to missionary. And so I want you to look with me in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, we know immediately when we read those words, that word Paul, who that is. But I want us to think about that for a moment and, and go back. And I, I know this is not going to be anything that you don't already know and don't recognize, especially as students of the Bible. But I want us to see this fresh. Now, in that day and time, as you have understood, as you've read your New Testament, particularly your Pauline epistles, you recognize that he started it with the author. We close our letters with our name. So I would say, dear Patrick, happy or happy New Year. Uh, hope you had a great Christmas. Da 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 da. Signed, Jason. He started out with Paul because look, he had not made any trips to Rome. The Church of Rome was not formed by the Apostle Paul. So he's establishing immediately his credentials. He's saying immediately who he is. The Apostle Paul, who was changed forever on the road to Damascus. So go with me to Acts chapter 7 just for a moment. And let's recall how this man Paul goes from being a murderer to a missionary. Acts chapter 7. And we'll just look at verses 54 through chapter 8 verse 3. Acts chapter 7. The occasion is the martyrdom of Stephen, who has just preached a tremendous sermon, and you need to read that on your own time. But for the sake of time, for us in the context that we're looking at in the book of Romans, we have to start in verse 54. And so Stephen has preached chapter 7 of Acts verse 54. Now when they heard these things, that is when they heard Stephen's sermon, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Notice chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's the murderer. Now, understand, Paul really thought his name was Saul, but it's going to be later changed to Paul. He really thought he was doing the right thing. He really was zealous for God's law. He really wanted to please God. 
He wanted to honor him. He was from the Pharisees, and he wanted the approval of God, and he wanted to make sure that Judaism, as it is described in the Old Testament, or as, at least as the Pharisees understood it, he wanted to preserve that. And here was this man, Jesus, who was coming and turning the world upside down, literally with all of his teaching and all the miracles that he performed, and he was gaining these followers, and these followers were living lives different than what he, as a Pharisee, and he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was at the top of the class. He was the greatest of all the Pharisees. And he wanted to preserve that, and he didn't want to lose that. And so these people who were being changed by faith in Christ, he thought that the only thing that he could possibly do was murder them, kill them, put them in prison. Well, notice chapter 9, beginning there in verse 1. And we're not going to read the whole chapter as is said or designated in your bulletin, but beginning there in chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, look at this, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So it's not enough that he would be in Jerusalem, but now he's going to go to Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him away by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I'll stop there, and you can read the rest of the chapter, or at least chapter, uh, verses 11 through 19 at another time. But Ananias came under the Lord's command, laid his hand on Saul, and he was converted at that road, on that road to Damascus. He was not converted by Ananias. He was converted by Jesus appearing to him. And so what I want us to understand, first of all, that as Paul writes the Romans to the Romans, the Roman believers, he is um, establishing his credentials. And so that would be the heading, if you're following along in the bulletin, that is the first heading. Paul describes his credentials. And we see that immediately that Paul goes from being a murderer to being the greatest of missionaries. As he traveled that world of that day, Spreading the gospel. Now, we know that he wrote this letter to the Romans on his th- at the end of his third missionary journey. He wrote it from Corinth. He wrote it because he was planning to leave Jerusalem with an offering that he had received from some other churches. And he was going to go to Spain with the gospel. But he wanted to come through Italy and stop at Rome. And so he wrote this letter to establish his gospel, to 
make sure that what they would understand about him and his ministry was true. It was gospel, the true gospel. And so he writes the letter, and, and it is probably taken by Phoebe, who is mentioned in chapter 16, and we'll talk about that in the future. But now, as I said, he is establishing or describing his credentials, and he calls himself, first of all, a servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, that's what the English translation in the English Standard Version says. Some of your translations might say something like bond servant, or some of your translations that you might have with you this morning might even use the word slave. But the point is that Paul is describing himself as one who is owned by Jesus Christ. He is, and the Greek word, it's doulos, or slave, or bondservant. He is a slave of Christ Jesus. He has been transformed. He has been changed. He's come under the control, under the rule of Christ Jesus. And so it is, listen, it is, we come to these early days of 2022, one of the things that we ought to think about if we come to the end of our life in this year and you are laying in a casket and there's a preacher behind that casket and he's proclaiming the reality of death and he's talking about this, one of the things that we ought to strive for is it ought to be said of us that we were doulos, slaves of Christ Jesus. Uh, Not that we were rich or famous, not that we gained some great notoriety or popularity, but what we would be known for is that we were slaves of Christ Jesus. And the way that you and I are known for being slaves of Christ Jesus is by living consistently with our ruler, our king, living in a way that we obey, living in joyful relationship, but this idea of servant or bondservant, when we, when we talk about slave in our culture, in our day, we think about American history and the brutality and the cruelty of American slavery, and there's no doubt that, that that's a proven fact. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what the New Testament writers talk about, and that is certainly not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a bondservant. Perhaps that's the better language in terms of American Christianity because a bondservant would be one who would give himself willingly. A bondservant is one who had some privileges, some freedoms, but was given wholly to his master. Willing and joyfully giving himself or herself to the master. That's the idea here. So Paul, first of all, describes himself as a servant. Secondly, he describes himself as an apostle, called to be an apostle. The Greek word is apostolos. Um, It's the idea of being sent. Now, recall that Jesus had many disciples. At one point, he sent out 72 to preach and to heal and to teach. He had many who were learners. That's what the word disciple was, or means, rather, he many who were learners. Not all of those followed him in faith, but he had many. But he only had 12 apostles. He had 12 
And one of those, of course, being Judas, the betrayer, who hung himself. But these apostles were set apart. They were, as you can see in your bulletin, there's the, the, your notes there. They were chosen. They were called. They were sent forth by Christ. We have the gospel accounts of that. They were eyewitnesses of Christ's earthly ministry. They were endowed in a special measure, in a special way by the Holy Spirit for ministry. They were not restricted to a local church. They traveled, and they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Now, is that in your bulletin as it? Yes. I couldn't remember if I left blanks there for you or if you could just read those. I wanted you to see those because I wanted you to recognize that there are special categories or special credentials that are given to an apostle. And Paul says that he was called to be an apostle. Now, he didn't have all of these credentials. He says at one point in another time, in another letter, I didn't know Jesus. That is, I didn't know Jesus in the flesh. He may have heard about him, no doubt, but he he never met him or experienced him in person. But nevertheless, he was an He was not an eyewitness, but he was called because he saw the resurrected Christ. Remember, we just read that in Acts chapter 9. He experienced the resurrected Christ. And so Paul called himself an apostle. Uh, In one place, he calls himself as one who is untimely born, one who comes along late as an apostle. But he was an apostle. He was a servant. He was a slave. And notice what else he says about about himself in chapter 1, verse 1. He is set apart for the gospel of God. He is set apart. He writes about this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. He says that he was set apart from birth, that he, he, he was uh, sanctified, he was different, he was set apart for a purpose. In Acts chapter 9, though we did not read the verses, what we find there is that Ananias came and said to Paul through what the Lord had revealed to him that will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. He was set apart for suffering. And what we've got to understand is that is part and parcel of the Christian life, right? Suffering. That is what we ought to expect. That is what comes to us in this life. We are not exempt from that, but it comes to us. And this year, this year might be the greatest year of suffering for you or myself, that we've ever experienced. That's not too cheery, is it? But listen, we've got to be faithful. And even in the midst of that suffering and that discouragement and the pressure and the confusion and whatever else comes to us, we have got to stand firm and be uh, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, striving to have what should be said of us, he or she was a slave to Christ. They were faithful to the end. They continued in the faith. So Paul calls himself as being set apart, an apostle and a servant, and so it establishes his credentials. He describes his credentials. But notice, too, he describes the gospel of God. He describes the gospel of God because he says... I am set apart for the gospel of God. That is, in the Greek, it's genitive, which means possession. 
So Paul is set apart for the gospel that comes from God. He's the originator of it. It's not Paul's gospel. It is God's gospel. And God's gospel is true. In fact, there are some things that are said about God's gospel here for us to understand. Notice in verse 2, which he promised, that is, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That is, this gospel of God that Paul is set apart for, that he is sent out to preach as an apostle, that he is a slave to, this gospel is promised beforehand through the prophets. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament. We see the promise beginning really in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when there's going to be one who's going to come from the seed of the woman, and he's the seed of the woman, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And from that point on, the prophets testify, the scriptures testify that there is one who is coming who will redeem the people of God. And notice there are some things that are said about this gospel that are specific to his son. Here's the second thought, that not only was this gospel promised, but it is a gospel that is concerning his son. His son is the theme of this gospel. His son is the, son is the priority of this gospel. His son is the focus of this gospel. It is his son. And what is said about his son? Number one, he's a descendant from David. That is according to the flesh. Came from the line of David, which is another evidence of the scripture and what the prophets had said, particularly in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where you can see that God promises David a descendant, one who will be on the throne forever, and it is Jesus Christ, the son, the gospel concerning the Son of God who is descended from David according to the flesh. Notice also that he is vindicated by his resurrection. That this Son, that this gospel concerns, was declared, this is verse 4, to be the Son of God in power to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, not only did Jesus come in the flesh, but he came in the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. The Spirit, the power of the Spirit raised him from the dead. It was Jesus who is vindicated as the Son of God in this gospel that concerns Jesus, that God would vindicate his Son who has come in the flesh. It's not that suddenly he becomes the Son of God in the resurrection, but God vindicates him. The Father vindicates him as the Son who came in the flesh. And then finally, at the end of verse 4, what we have is this final explanation or description of the gospel of God. Not only is it promised in Scripture, not only is it concerning his Son, but also Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of light. He is the Lord of love. He is our Lord. And that's what we ought to think about as we approach this new year. Um, is he our Lord or is the world our Lord? Is our spouse? Is our job? Is our bank account? Who is our Lord? Think about that. If we think about Adonam Judson, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we think about his life. 
and he went through great trouble. He, w- he was captured by pirates. Uh, he went into great depression. He wanted to give up. He went and built a hut out in the jungle away from anybody else in the jungle of Burma where it's tiger infested because he was so depressed and so discouraged, so defeated because his wife had died, his children. It was a terrible time for him. And yet he persevered because his Lord was Jesus Christ. That's what we need to think about this coming year. Well, let me mention as we close that the book for reading uh, Adonai Junction to the Golden Shore is the title of that book. I think there's only six or seven, right, Jared? But if you want one and you, and you didn't get one when you leave this morning, make sure you see Jared and he'll take care of that for you. Right, Jared? <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, may God bless this word to us this morning. And uh, may we think about these things um, diligently. May we think about these things as um, we go into this coming week to our regular routine and our regular schedule and then beyond. And may we anticipate with great joy um, the rest of Romans as we continue in that study. Let's pray together. Father, may we now commit our life to you afresh. May you draw any who are lost and undone this morning to yourself. Father, may they, even like the Apostle Paul, experience that miraculous transformation, that conviction of sin, that repenting of sin, and be changed by the gospel. Father, would you do that with somebody here this morning? Somebody here is lost, Father. And would you bring them to saving faith? And Father, I pray now that we would uh, be encouraged and inspired to leave this place understanding all that has been expressed through the apostle in these first four verses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.